doesn't have to be the blue iris. It could be weeds in a vacant lot or a few small stones just pay attention then patch a few words together and don't try to make them elaborate this isn't a contest but the doorway into thanks and a silence in which another voice may speak everyone welcome back to solo scene today is rather a special episode we are going to be telling a story of sorts and also establishing the rules for stories as we go what i mean by that is having last week established the rules and background of solar punk the aesthetic so you can listen to that if you want to but it's not uh, i would say a necessary precursor this week we're going to be playing around with the narratives of the genre rather than it as a mere kind of visual subculture so i've come up with something of a guide that we can traverse and also put on our brainstorming caps and just try and come up with something fun and I think that poem that you read would be kind of like the poem on the first page of the novel before you start it mm-hmm. like the uh the forward I agree I found this poem it's by Mary Oliver the patron poet of the Soul Scene podcast sure and I felt like it encapsulated what we're going to be talking about today quite well mm-hmm. I'll highlight two things one is that she was talking about the inspiration for a prayer the, the poem is called praying by mary oliver so the inspiration doesn't need to be something extreme but as long as it's real to you so she would say like could be weeds or a few just like stones scattered on the ground and we're going to talk today about how when you make a story the inspiration should be real life it shouldn't just be other stories yeah because then it can become a bit insular and disconnected from reality And the other thing that I wanted to mention about this poem in relation to today's episode is how she was talking about how the prayer, or the story in this case, doesn't have to be elaborate as long as it is a doorway into creating an idea or a space for other voices to speak. And that's not always important in storytelling, but I think it's very important in solar punk storytelling Every story piece of art in the solar punk genre should be a jumping off point or perhaps a jumping in point for other people to join because right now it's such a new movement that it can't necessarily afford the luxury of being abstract the way that other genres can. Yeah, it's really nice points, especially the first one because I think as wannabe writers or artists, you're so conditioned by spectacle and blockbusters and even classics that your own small haiku that you form upon seeing some weeds and an ant just seems so minuscule in comparison and so Mm -hmm. kind of slight. But really that's often the best or at least the most honest type of art. So along these lines, I have split our budding genre into three categories setting and plot or story which i think are pretty much the three elements of storytelling but first of all let's ourselves share a couple of solar punk examples from real life i'll put you on the spot so you can't reference studio ghibli it has to be something that something actually real life? exists oh wow yeah my first idea is living in montreal there are bixies everywhere and we realized upon moving here 
we thought it was more of a novel thing because in Halifax, where we used to live, they had a similar situation with scooters, but it was definitely more for tourists. Yeah. But here it's everyone. People get to work on them. You get your groceries on a Bixie. Which are those those bike taxis. Yes. Sorry. And the they are so affordable. It's very solar punk in a lot of ways in the accessibility, in the community aspect of it, because you can't just steal one. You basically you you if they were all stolen, they'd have to be returned. Yeah. And often when people propose these solar punk solutions of communal tools or communal spaces people say well mm-hmm. why wouldn't they be taken advantage of and the answer is well people aren't necessarily innately evil yeah it's a i really like that example and i didn't even think about it because it's so embedded here and recently something interesting about the bixies is that for the first time they've gone winterized it's true it's a year-round thing whereas it used to be just for the the warmer months in montreal because i guess people thought it'd be impractical or just unpopular during the winter mm-hmm. so we're going a little bit not just solar punk but glass a punk i suppose mm-hmm. And it could be improved. It could be better, of course. But something that I really think is a solar punk ethos is not letting perfect be the enemy of good. So like the big C mm. concept in a city, that, as you say, there are always going to be negative people. And sometimes it's easy to fall into this yourself saying, no one's going to use this in the winter. The snow and ice will block it so you can't even uh, put them away. And maybe every time you go to return one, the whole dock will be full, so it'll be hard to even find an empty spot because not many people are using it. So you could list issues like this, but really it's it's not like the city is worse off for having this during the winter months. It's only mm-hmm. a good thing. Yeah, and the thing with these issues arising is that it then tells us what we have to solve. Yeah. Because if you didn't try, you wouldn't you could speculate about the problems, but then maybe the speculation would blow them out of proportion. In reality, it just means similar to in the summer, there's an incentive program if you drop them off at empty docks mm-hmm. and stuff so it just there's solutions and you have to be creative with it and i found bixie in all these ways including the incentive program of like if you i don't remember what it is it's something like if you drop it off at an empty dock you get a free ride or you get like a grocery coupon or something it's very outside of the box and interesting yeah. my examples of solar punk in real life make me seem very sheltered but it's the first time that i was working at a garden center which used to be my job and I had never been in a greenhouse before, really, or at mm. least paying any attention to it. And I just thought it looked like such a spectacular and kind of sci-fi thing, especially when they removed the covers, so it was just the frames. Mm. There was something about that in addition to the timed sprinklers. Like, I thought sprinklers <laughs> were really wonderful. I'd never actually... I'd never really seen sprinklers up close, which sounds... I really Sheltered. sound like a like I was raised by... raised in a barn or something like that. Mm. Didn't even know sprinklers. But also just everything about gardening and I suppose farming shocked me as to how really quantified and scientific it all was Mm. about how you can buy things to adjust the pH of your soil en masse to better grow certain flowers or certain vegetables. Mm -hmm. And I just thought that was such a neat and i suppose solar punk because it's not just about technology but also knowledge and how these two things uh intertwine especially with nature and that's kind of the core of the genre and another example i had is riding an e-bike which i've only done one time oh, but i yeah, thought was, I forgot about that. was such a weirdly spectacular um <laughs> experience and usually i'm quite i'm quite above such things i'm usually quite superior and i would say oh i'd rather propel myself like the literal flintstones than ride an e-bike who needs to do that but actually they're really neat 
Yeah, especially, I mean, we were going quite far and we were able to do this journey quickly because we were on these bikes, yeah. which was fun. And it also had this almost magical quality when we realized how they worked. Yeah, it was also the fact that it was a legitimate bike lane. It was. Actually wide. And yeah. you, I wasn't fearing for my life. Yeah, that's always a, a bonus for sure. Another example I had is one time in one of my film classes, we had a, a guy come in showing off like eco-celluloid mm -hmm. and talking all about green cinema and different materials and methods for how an industry which you don't often think of as like this is the problem with emissions actually could could be made a lot cleaner for sure and so could pretty much everything it's like the sable island movie that i talked about quite a lot this year in that it was it wasn't all filmed on organic celluloid but there were pieces of the film that were developed in the soil or in horse manure. Okay, yeah, geog Geographies of Solitude. Yeah. So that's a it's a documentary which I actually think is a pretty good pivot into talking about characters in the mm -hmm. solo punk world. I think one of the main reasons there are no real, proper, famous, great solo punk stories as of yet is because people often start with the aesthetic. We start with the cities and the buildings, but stories are much more about the people who live in those buildings even if they're also the ones who build them and that can be one of their primary traits but you need characters yeah. and in geographies of solitude the film you're referencing the main subject of the documentary is a lady who lives there and she's a scientist she's been studying the horses and the ecosystems on the island for decades but she's also to some extent a legitimate hoarder yes and she holds herself away in this cabin with just thousands and thousands of small plastic things that she collects over the years sheafs and sheafs of paper spreadsheets that she's um studied for decades and it's a really great example of the most important character in the solo punk story the hero and the archetype that i think best sums this up is the maker hero or heroine and for this you can think someone like dr frankenstein iron man Willy Wonka is a kind of topical example yeah. and I had a quote about the archetype from a website called Fast Draft Pro that said, historically, the creator archetype has held a significant place in literature and folklore, symbolizing the human aspiration to innovate and affect the world. So I think our character is a builder, first and foremost, mm -hmm. a tinkerer. Certainly. And I was thinking for the name, it could either be something just inanimate, mm -hmm. something like bag. They just everyone just calls them bag okay. or wooly. Yeah. Because I think it's a very trendy thing also, like in young adult fiction or on Netflix, you'll see a TV show and it's like the main character's name is Wooly. And it's like, that's not a name for mm -hmm. a person. That's a that's a type of mammoth. But I really think something like that, or because I was kind of picturing it as a heroine, I don't know why. Mm -hmm. But she could have a traditionally boy's name. I think one of these two options should be like Felix Bags. Yeah, Felix Bags or like or like Harry. Yeah. Short for Harriet. Mm. Or, or maybe I like not. this. I like the futuristic vision of names perhaps being assigned a bit. Obviously that's historic in a way. Yeah. But I I think we could revive it of the blacksmiths and okay. things like that. Okay, like the surname. Yeah, the surname. Okay. Like I think yeah, having a name from birth is cool, but uh, and important, but I think a surname or a Dwayne, The Rock, Johnson, like a right. nickname. A wrestling sort of thing. name. Yeah. So what's her character's name? 
I was thinking about this. I think I like Harriet a lot because I was thinking Veronica. Yeah. And it could be like called like V or something. Oh, yeah. So. V would be very anarchist. Mm-hmm. V for Vendetta. Yes. So I'm going to go with Veronica. What about Veronica Cable? No. Okay. What about Veronica Snips? <laughs> okay. <laughs> we'll just call her V. Okay. V. So also with this archetype, what I love about it is that it redirects what I think is a is a very present present day energy towards an enthusiasm towards STEM and innovation. But today it's kind of going in somewhat gross directions or at least very kind of Techie. digital Digital's and indoor word, yeah. directions. But V is a tinkerer with solar panels and e-bikes and street lamps and things that are really real world stuff. Mm-hmm. And she's bringing the power to her and her commune. This is the next character, but really it's a group of characters. So this is kind of a stock troop, which kind of our maker hero V relies on. Mm-hmm. And they provide materials and resources and they work around and maybe they're farmers or librarians or street sweepers or builders or who knows what Mm. but i think they complement each other very well they complement and i think it also needs to show a full range a full spectrum of personalities because it's a it's a deliberately inclusive thing these are the good guys and we need to immediately see these are the good guys Mm. And V likes them. And something I didn't mention about our hero, I think she should have a tragic backstory. Okay. Because solar punk is at its best when it's very contextualized. I'll get into that a little bit later with the setting. But it needs to look like the world having dealt with and still dealing with climate stuff, mm. environmental degradation and kind of a good character way of showing these scars is if we made v an orphan Mm. always a good thing in stories because then you also just don't have to deal with the parents parents are always boring so she's kind of adopted by this commune Mm -hmm. and i don't know maybe her parents kind of the cliche thing would be if they died in the water wars or something like that Mm. although we're not post quite post-apocalyptic so maybe maybe they were climate scientists who died tragically in a really radical experiment of like some crazy carbon sequestration technology mm. and they accidentally sequestered themselves for forever oh my gosh Something it's like, like in that. fire of love the two volcano scientists who died in a volcano doing what they love but still tragic it could even be like in in the bible when moses gets floated down in a basket we don't have to go quite that far mm-hmm. and then the commune could adopt her and yes. name her I like this. Maybe she's like tearing apart things. That's why they call her snips. Mm -hmm. I think that... Maybe she still has the umbilical cord. No, we won't go there. That's a bit... (laughs) (laughs) I think that in solar punk storytelling, these different family structures are a key part of it. Mm. Commune is one word for it, but it's also just like families who have come together as adults or as young people. Yeah, aka communities. Yeah. Which is what used to be the norm. It's true. And I think I think it's very especially from like a politically conservative point of view, it's easy to feel kind of um threatened or again superior to that kind of thing because it's it feels like it's 
in opposition to, let's say, the nuclear family mm -hmm. or any kind of traditional structures like that, which I don't think is the case. I think they can happily coexist. Of course. I mean, people used to say it takes a village, and that used to be just a thing that people said. Mm -hmm. So I think that in this case, obviously, she, her parents died tragically in the sequestration. But generally speaking, you can have two parents, the kids, the dog, within this also community structure. Of that's That's a wonderful thing. Yeah, so we have V, we have her community of misfits. Misfits, exactly. Like the Island of Misfit Toys. Maybe there's some comic relief in there. Maybe there's like a romantic subplot mm -hmm. or someone's tinkering. With, someone has a radio station that they're... Yeah. It's something like that. And then, of course, to round it off, we need the villain. Mm. And the archetype that I kind of formed for this was the tech tyrants. Okay. And what this means is that they are kind of the antithesis of solarpunk in that they use technology to reinforce exploitation of people, of environments. So they're like the cyberpunk. Yeah, they want hierarchy and control. Think the antagonist corporation from Blade Runner up in a skyscraper looking down and really wanting to pull the strings. And crucially, I think it could sometimes be, but for our story, there should not be just outright evil. I think for solarpunk, it's important to have that moral nuance. Mm -hmm. Not every genre needs this, but I think in solarpunk, it, it would be good if it was central. And so I think what would be neat is if they were more of a foil for the protagonist. That's what it seems like, yeah. They might even share some of the same ideology, but go about it in the wrong way mm -hmm. or mirror each other in certain ways. Maybe they're greenwashing. Mm -hmm. Maybe they are not quite understanding that what they're doing is in the long run unsustainable or maybe they come from a good place so like an idea i had was they are trying to make pets live longer kind of like the green goblin i'm thinking like the kind of bioengineering of yeah for like the good but then it kind of can turn into like a mutant situation. of course yeah so, so that was my that was my idea they're trying to make cats and dogs and birds and fish live longer mm -hmm. because people would like that people don't like saying goodbye to their pets we're going to give them pretty much human lifespans mm -hmm. But the way they do this is through kind of making them cyborgs mm -hmm. and there's something wrong about it and maybe it makes the pet sad. Um, but it comes from a good place, but maybe it's not. Yeah. This is just my idea that I came up no, with. I think this is a good idea to start with because I think it's important that they're morally relatable because yeah. I find when a villain is so unrelatable, it's like they just want to kill everybody. It's like... yeah. You don't relate to it. It's also not that realistic, so you won't like recognize the patterns in real life. And I feel like stories are important for laying out patterns that you can kind of recognize in yourself or in a friend and have empathy towards to deal with. Well, I think some stories. Yeah. Like I think it's it's okay that Sauron is just evil in Lord of the Rings. Yeah. But like I'm saying, I think in in Solarpunk, since it envisions its hero as a builder and a maker. And it kind of does that for everybody. Mm -hmm. It'd be neat if the villain was also not just about destroying. They too want to build, but maybe they're building the wrong thing yeah. or just building it in the wrong way. So those are our characters. And now I think the way to do it is you build a world around those characters. Mm -hmm. So the setting that I kind of drew up is called San Francisco Punk. Okay. I think it's Wait, key. did you know that Ecotopia is set in San Francisco? No. Ooh. What anyway, is it about San Francisco? Um, <laughs> I don't know. It's a very uh, evocative looking place, I think. Yeah. And it has a neat name. So, cool. so San Francisco Punk. San Francisco Punk. I think it's key that 
it is familiar, but also out of reach, mm. but seemingly graspable. Like it needs to be very, if I just came up with a whole new place in a new land and all the buildings and the landmarks are different, then okay, we're writing a fantasy. But this, as I say, it needs to be contextualized in the city that even if you haven't been there, you kind of have a basic idea that there are trams and hills and the sea and San Francisco punk. Mm -hmm. So what do you think is different about this city? The Zolo punk city? Well, it's connected to the surrounding cities via trains. There's no like intercity cars or okay. anything like that or planes even mm. and so that means that it's a bit more isolated and has to be more self-reliant as a city which means farms rooftop farms greenery all over the place i like the idea that you mentioned on one episode about having the roads be weird lines of farming yeah i think that's cool also did you know in a lot of cities roads are built over existing streams and stuff Whoa. So they've had to divert the streams underground. So a solar punk idea is bringing the streams back up to ground level. Yeah. And then some of the roads that we would know, and so they could already be there, right? Mm. Would become streams and you could fish in them or even just like yeah, I mean, commute this on them. fits with the Moses idea. <laughs> yeah. She got pushed down the San Francisco punk canals mm -hmm. in a basket, a woven basket. Yes. But also I think it could be slightly more fantastical, like there are skyways and maybe the Buildings have wigglier silhouettes yeah. and um, e-bikes and green transport and still the trams, but maybe they're, I don't know, all painted green and there are turbines and solar panels all over the place and mm -hmm. uh, libraries and tech libraries and markets. And I just think in general, it's it's bustling, it's dense, and there's a weird blurring of the lines between inside and outside and glass roofs. Yeah. And I think in a city like this, because right now cities kind of sprawl, mm. so I think it would be over time. Like this isn't you can't like mandate it overnight, but in the story, I think it will be that over fifty years or whatever, a lot of people have come together, so it's a bit more dense in certain areas. Yeah, I was thinking we set it in twenty ninety nine. Yeah, it's a hundred years after you and I were born. Great. So then there's just these little communities, and maybe the city's a bit more dense, but then there is more room for a green. Mm. greenery and stuff in between wilderness. yeah and then in keeping with the three characters that i had we'll start with the commune where they live i was thinking it could be like a an adapted mall or something like that okay. something really neat or like a big network of i don't know i picture them kind of like mole people in a sense so, so they took over like an old like industrial building or something yeah like a warehouse okay but it's just it's full of life and it smells nice and there are carrots growing on the roofs. Mm -hmm. And because they're carrots, you can see them like from inside when you look up at the ceiling, you just see the orange things. Uh, I know that's not how rooftop gardens work, but <laughs> in this kind of cartoon world, that's how okay. it is. I like that. And so <laughs> like they can shout up to someone on the roof like, poke that one down. And then they just poke it down and it falls all the way <laughs> into their waiting mouth or hand. So these guys, I think it should be it's crucial that this is like a homey Gryffindor common room type. You want to live there when you read the story. Mm -hmm. And they treat V, Veronica, as kind of like this whiz kid. Because mm. she's friendly, she's popular, but also she's quite studious 
and likes to tinker in her place, which is the den. Mm. And I think this is the most critical part of the solar punk world. Our hero's somewhat reclusive little nest in which they make. Yes. So I don't know if she has a specialty thing, like maybe it's bicycles or clocks or screens or turbines or something like mm-hmm. that. But whatever it is, her den is full of it. I like that. So she can kind of go down here. Maybe she's got a couple friendly like bats or something like that. <laughs> or maybe what she does is rescue the broken cyborg animals that our villain is making. I see. And she kind of brings them back to normal or something. Yeah. Ooh, okay. Because maybe maybe sometimes the metal limbs or organs don't work properly and so they just kind of discard them. Mm-hmm. But then she goes and rescues them and gives them proper lives kind of I thing. See. So it's like a sanctuary. Cool. And yeah, I think this is just this is really where our hero endears his or herself to the reader. Because it's like, wow, they're so competent, they're all so good, and they are very uh, resourceful. It's, it's mm-hmm. the main thing. The thing about solar punk futures is often when we just when you describe that you picture kind of all the dystopian books that we've read where these types of characters like Katniss or I'm just, I'll use Katniss as an example is like they're very poor yeah. and so they're resourceful but it's like because they have to be mm. but the difference in the solar punk future is that there's like universal well-being yeah they're thriving so they're not like scrounging because they have to they're scrounging because it's good for the planet and it's creative yeah and fun and i don't i don't think they're wallowing in filth like they're still clean hygienic it's just that they don't they don't throw things away so much Mm -hmm. i picture it a little bit like arietti yes the borrowers exactly and then kind of the counter to this den is the villain's lair yeah which would obviously be my favorite place it looked like kim and kanye's house well i think it yeah, like a minimalism? Yeah. I, th- I do think it needs to parallel in some ways our hero's den. So maybe like they have a couple similar adornments on it or something. Mm-hmm. But crucially, I think while the den is on the earth, the villain's lair needs to be deliberately high up looking down on things. So either in a skyscraper or my idea, in a dirigible that... Ooh, the evil dirigible. ...that tours above the city... And everyone kind of looks up on it and shakes their fist. <laughs> and maybe someone tries to like blow a dart at it, but yeah. it, doesn't, it doesn't work. It's too high. So yeah, they're looking down and kind of sending down their cyborg animals, but mm-hmm. you know, in a good way. They're trying to fix yeah. things. Yeah, I picture this like a, like a Bond villain, like their lair, yeah. which is very clearly always a villain's lair, but also annoyingly beautiful yeah. and just stunning. And also, crucially, I think it needs to be inaccessible because now we get to the story, a big part of the arc is making our way to the villain's lair. Oh, okay, I see. So they're trying to create their own little dirigibles or... Something like that, maybe. But they, like, refuse to use any evil methods of using hydrogen or whatever, so they're trying to create a new... Maybe. ...gas or something. Well, I think this this is often where solarpunk stories find the most stasis because it's like okay, we can picture our world. You can also pretty easily come up with some characters that inhabit that world. But since people often draw it so utopian, and that's kind of the root of the subculture, it's hard to get any momentum there. Similar to a a Superman story. Mm -hmm. It's like, well, how do you oppose him? He's great at everything. 
Yeah. So people need to find ways of weakening him. So we can kind of envision this as most of solar punk being just still images, but we're trying to set this to movement and in particular some kind of compelling movement where there is some like opposition. Mm. So the ideas I had for that were we're either dealing with, as I said, the scars of the past. So we're trying to rebuild from something that's still affecting us poorly and maybe some people who are still believing things that aren't for the best mm. or perhaps as i said with the villain we have similar ideologies but someone's executing it differently which is pretty much human nature and would always be the case which is why i lean towards that one the most yeah because even if in the solar punk world okay great everyone has sustainability as an ideal there are still going to be greedy people or rude people or ignorant people or cowardly people or whatever it may be and I also like this story breakdown that I read once, which is that every story is either a stranger comes to town or you leave the town and I go see. somewhere. Yeah, that's kind of true, isn't it? So is Veronica falling into the stranger coming to town? Yeah, because I think that this toy person or this, uh, this pet fixer, I think that he or she comes in and starts doing this because it wouldn't really make sense if they were there from the start right yeah that's true so i think they start doing this and then we have our first story beat which is i'm calling it the weakening in some way veronica is diminished in her skills as a maker Mm. i don't know whether she loses belief maybe her she loses her tools literally like loses the material or maybe she encounters a problem that she has no idea how to fix like maybe she's tinkering with these animals but she is getting frustrated because she she can't save them. They keep mm. dying or something like that. I'm reminded a little bit of your parents had a tool shed for a long time. Yeah. Probably about, was it 2,000 years? About 2,000, yeah. yeah. It's been there for all of time. But right? they had a really, a really dense tool shed with a lot of screwdrivers in and things like that. Yeah, everything you could imagine or ever need. And it burnt down. Yeah. The whole arsenal gone Mm -hmm. and so in that moment when it's all up in flames and you see someone just on their knees beating the turf with their fists in rage as i imagine your dad might have been this rock bottom in other words it's about (laughs) kind of building themselves up from there and that's Mm -hmm. the story yeah um like maybe even from a solar punk point of view they they lose their optimism or their vision of the world Mm -hmm. because we can we can even treat the kind of root of the aesthetic as a a character trait Mm -hmm. and this is what kicks off their quest yeah. And the quest is what I'm calling the ladder. Mm-hmm. If you picture an episode of Dora the Explorer. I'm picturing it. She goes from obstacle to obstacle. Often it's laid out on a map from the start. Mm-hmm. On the map. I'm the map. You got Swiper, Grumpy Old Troll who lives under the bridge, and maybe Boots loses his boots or something like that. There's mm-hmm. always something. And how does she get around it? With Spanish. Yes. That's, like what, that's what she does. She says things in Spanish to get to the next obstacle. But what our character does is build things with the help of her commune and her own ingenuity and resourcefulness, intelligence, creativity, harmony with nature. And I guess these traits are why I picture it as a heroine because I don't want to seem too kind of stereotypical, but I do think there's a femininity to the solar punk hero's way of traversing challenges in mm-hmm. that if you picture a really masculine hero's journey like in Lord of the Rings usually it's a kind of strength-based puzzles it's like you have to mm-hmm. 
stab the orcs and defeat the spider and pull the sword from the stone. Mm-hmm. And I'm not just talking physical strength, but it's about your kind of raw ability to... It's where they approach the problems are yeah. pretty different, I think, because yeah. perhaps a heroine would think of a different way to get past the orcs, maybe a bit more of a Sam type. She's going to build a ladder. That's why I call it the ladder yeah. thing, so mm-hmm. that she can scale over them. Yeah. And um, I think it can be still as kind of basic and primordial and mythological as, let's say, the Lord of the Rings. Because even in something like the Wizard of Oz or the Odyssey, there's the sirens and the flower and the, the, the meadow of flowers that they have to resist, right? So they have to mm-hmm. practice restraint, which is a little bit of an atypical test for a hero. Mm-hmm. So I think things like that, that, like that she idea. has to, with the help of her friends, overcome and grow and really become the hero proper. Mm-hmm. And then we have the finale, which I've called bridge building. Because I think you should try and resolve things in a way that reflects the solar punk ethos. It wouldn't make sense to drop it at the end because we're trying to squeeze in a typical violent climax. Mm-hmm. So bridge building, what do you think this entails? It means they reach the dirigible, but they take a bit of a Doctor Who approach of talking to him instead mm. of just killing him and dropping him out of the dirigible yeah. or maybe destroying the dirigible and he escapes or something. Yeah. Try and talk to him and say, use this dirigible as a dirigible for good. I, I really think this is this is a crucial thing and it's about environmental storytelling or symbolism and how the setting and the story in solar punk, because the aesthetic is so visual, are so intertwined. It should always be the case that at the end, that villain's lair, which is high up above, somehow gets brought back to Earth, either physically or... Um, there's a vine that goes me- up there now. Or metaphorically. Yeah, yeah, maybe it's a beanstalk. Something like that. Yeah. And yeah, that's obviously a symbol for the fact that we're not just going to kill the villain. We're going to find a common ground. Mm-hmm. We're going to talk it out. And I was thinking we could do a twist for our story on the Star Wars notion mm. that the villain is Veronica's father, father or mother. I like that. And they're the one who pushed them down. Maybe they push them down because they don't like, maybe they're really they afraid of loss. death. Yeah. Which is why they're doing the thing with the pets. I see. We just wrapped it up really nicely. Wow. We are good storytellers, let me tell you. I think that connection between hero and villain, it doesn't have to be parentage, but there should be some kind of textual yeah. connection there. And what it kind of says to the hero is like, you're also part of the old world. We build the bridge. You're the bridge between worlds. The link, if you will. So the climax is basically untangling what that technology represented, the evil technology. Mm-hmm. And from there, once we kind of psychoanalyze it, we can build a new and better. That's lovely. The end. For those of you listening who wanted to make your own solar punk story, try and take these principles as principles, not as prescriptions of Every solar punk story has to have a Luke Skywalker, Darth Vader ending. Yeah. And I think when genres are new, the way solar punk is, it's easy to fall into traps and cliches and and things. Tropes. Yeah. Well, I don't really think you, I don't think you should be considering this at all as you write. It was just kind of a fun exercise for us (laughs) to do because we were talking about the death of solar punk storytelling. So we were like, if there were some, 
what would it be like? Mm. We're kind of reverse engineering it before they're even written. Because now we can look back on Westerns and be like, there's always this, there's always this, this always mm -hmm. happens, and this is always the end. Um, but at the time, I don't think a lot of the, like in the early days, I don't think Western writers were like, where's that guide that I need to follow? Yeah. You know what I mean? Good point. So I didn't fit it in because I was very engaged in your guide to solar punk storytelling. Thanks. But to end on a nice note, the organism of the week is... Ba -da 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 -ba -da -ba -da -ba. Whoa, yeah. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> the organism of the week is the rubber tree. Rubber duck tree. The rubber tree, which is native to South American tropical rainforests, and it is cultivated on plantations in Southeast Asia and West Africa. And rubber trees emit a milky liquid whenever they're damaged. It's like cut, similar to maple sap. And the milky liquid is latex. Mm -hmm. I just assumed latex was fake, mainly no, because of the name. That's why some people can be allergic to it. I know. Yeah. So latex oozes out and... 30% of the latex is rubber. The trees are tall and skinny and they have broad oval leaves. And I just think this organism is very solar punk because it creates this futuristic, very durable, yet biodegradable material. And I think in the solar punk future, there will be more rubber trees used for rubber production and there will be like no synthetics, ideally, besides existing recycled materials. But yeah, I just think it's really cool that you can get these rubber things, these rubber gloves, these rubber tires, and they just come from a tree. Like that just sounds so yeah. crazy to me. Rubber is really neat, actually. And with the reduction in cars in the solar punk world, mm -hmm. there's going to be a lot of rubber that we don't know what to do with. It's true. So rubber buildings. Maybe. Rubber hats. Mm. Small rubber hats. Yeah. Those so, can catch on. Very futuristic. And it's, yeah, like I knew that there was natural rubber and latex, but I just assumed it wasn't actually the stuff that we're using. So it's cool that it is the stuff we're using. And I hope it will proliferate a bit more in the solar punk world. Yeah. Shout out to the rubber tree and shout out to the listener. If you're watching on YouTube, please subscribe at Solar Scene Podcast. And also click the link in the description. You can buy some clothes zines email us and happy new year i think <laughs>